Well, as our children go to children's church and have opportunities just to grow in their faith, uh, we have that opportunity today and invite you to take uh, this book, whether it's uh, fine print uh, and it's uh, uh, not as quite as thick as the one I'm using or whether you have your device, uh, turn to a little book or a little letter in the New Testament uh, toward the back. Uh, if you have your regular Bible, uh, turn to Revelation, make a left and you'll find a little book called First Peter. And as uh, we look at it this, this morning, it just reminded me, as, as, Paul, as Peter's writing into uh, some of them that had just been born recently, and, and we don't mean uh, physically, but spiritually, he was really helping them uh, take those first steps of walking faithfully and joyfully in the relationship with the Lord. And, and maybe uh, you can remember those times uh, in your family experience, whether as a a parent or as a grandparent or as a friend of the family or, or a cousin or, or uncle, aunt, whatever it might be, where, where, where newborns were brought into the relationship. And you think about that, um, you see those new lives and they're, and they're just filled with energy and needs and now you're marking everything that happens in their life. And uh, one of the things that happens in um, many of our families is you're, you're noting when are they going to take their first steps, Right. And depending upon their first steps, and if, you, uh, if you're competitive at all, or not even competitive, but you're just interested in how other families or um, their children are taking their first steps, you, you begin to mark, or did your, your child or the one you're like measuring, did they take their first steps before the people you know took their first steps, right? And, and in other ways, sometimes you might look at, well, when did they start speaking? When did they start saying their first words? And if you're like me, you want the first words out of their mouth are, Daddy, right, or father, whatever it might be, and you want to beat the mother to that particular uh, blessing on that. But yeah, we're marking when do they take their first steps, when do they take their first words, and and then sometimes we'll measure our child compared to another child uh, whether they um, they spoke first or took a first step. Well, as I look at my kids, you know, I was thinking, well, did they, did they beat anybody? Did they win at that contest? And I was thinking, well, I'm not sure they won, except for my my first child, my oldest son, Tim. Uh, he, he was the first one, I guess you could say on the block, that got, his, uh, got a concussion and a broken arm before anybody else, all right? Uh, before he was age two, he was in one of these cribs, and it was kind of an older crib, remember those older ones that were wood, and you could lower the, the floor and, you know, larger and whatever it might be. Well, uh, before his second birthday, he decided that he would climb around, and he'd say, well, I wonder if I can get out of this cage, and so he got out of the cage, and where we lived, it was all, all hardwood floors, and uh, that was probably not the best parental um, thought at that time. But anyway, as he, got out, as he got up on top of that crib, he then took a nosedive, landed on his head, and broke his arm. Now, I wasn't even home when that happened, so Alice is the one who had to rush him to the emergency hospital, and, and she got quite a few looks, you know? <laughs> and she's somehow abusing this little child that came out of the womb. Well, as you think about it, uh, first steps... Uh, whether um, those were first steps of catastrophe. But if you think about someone walking or speaking, uh, the skills they learn when they're young, they have to continue to, to operate those skills later on in life, right? Whatever, however you walk, you need to keep walking that way. And however you talk, some of those things you'll learn at the very beginning, you need to keep doing that way. And, and in many ways, if, if that doesn't happen, if your child doesn't walk or doesn't talk, and normally you, you, you go to the doctors and say, what, what's, what's wrong with my child? What's, what's going on here? And, and then we also know on the other side of life that when a person has an accident, maybe there's trauma in their, 
in their body or in their brain, they sometimes will lose the ability to walk or talk. And if that's true physically, that is, we lean to learn the, the first steps or the first words or the, the first things we need to progress on in life, we need to realize that's true spiritually. And, and Peter's writing into um, these readers, those who are in desperate need of some counsel in terms of how to live it out when it's not easy, he, he goes back to the very beginning. He talks to them about being born again. But as he talks about being born again, then he speaks a little bit later on, well, how do you keep living out being born again? And, and we want to see this in First Peter today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to pick off basically where we didn't finish last week. And we're going to see Peter very simply say, for you have been born again. And really, as a pastor, and not only as a pastor, but just as one who has experienced being born again, my greatest desire for other people is that they too would be what? Born again. And so as you think about that, that is crucial for us to make sure that we understand what does it mean and how does a person get born again? But that, not only that, we need to recognize as they take that first step of, of knowing God in a personal way, how, how do they continue in that relationship? Because there, there is nothing sadder than to bring people into this world physically. And as they begin to wind up their chronological clock and they get a little bit older, at least age-wise, and, and you see that they, they don't spend a whole lot of time maturing. And, and, and somehow they, they started this life, but they're not necessarily living it out in the way that was your dream, your intended purpose for them. And as we think about God being our heavenly parent, God brings us into this family, and he wants us to live it out. And he speaks pretty plainly about that. And this morning, the, the message only has a couple of points. I got a few sub points for you to, to, for us all to consider. But God wants us to take first steps. And it begins with, do we really know we've experienced that new life? Everyone experiences that physical life, but not everyone experiences the spiritual life. So we want to realize what it takes to get into the family of God, and then we also want to take a look at realizing what it takes to grow in the family of God. And it's a God thing. Let's just be very, very clear about that. It's the Spirit of God that uses the Word of God to bring us into the family of God. And we're going to see that right as Peter writes these words then, for you have been born again. And he says, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is for the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. And as we think about entering into the family of God, it, it all comes from us hearing the truth about the one who is the word of God. And, and this is the word that is, is going to last forever. This is an eternal world, word. This is something that produces, something that's not going to spring up and then die. It's that which God brings to life, and it will last forever. And, and that's one of the indicators of whether you really are born again, or people you love and care about, are, are they born again, born again? Is their life with him being lived out? Are they experiencing life? Are they fading miserably? 
And they give no evidence of having that seed which lasts forever continue to bring life into that person's life. It's interesting, even the word, you have been born again, in, in the original language, it comes from a particular tense in the, in, in the grammar, which speaks about something that starts in the past but continues on into the future. And so being born again has a point in which it happens, but it continues. There's a, there's a past and there's a present and there's a future. And, and he's pleading with them to understand that you have been born again, again from that which will really last. But I want to kind of see this a little bit through Scripture a little bit real rapidly, is that as you think about this, the written Word of God speaks about the living Word of God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, we have that familiar passage where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus spoke the words of God because he was God, but he was the Word of God. The, the Word is the expression of who God is. And, and so when we get born again, it's the, it's the written Word of God or the spoken Word of God that leads us to the living Word of God, which is Jesus. But as we think about being born again, there is no more familiar passage uh, than the one in John chapter 3 in which we have a, a very religious man coming to Jesus and, and wanting to find out what this is all about in terms of this person that he says obviously has come from heaven because you speak words that no one else has said before and you're, you're speaking to us about life. And, and then Jesus speaks into his life. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 3. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So how, how crucial is it for people to be born again? It's, it's fundamental, isn't it? Uh, it doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how many times you pray prayers. It doesn't matter how many times you're involved in whatever it might be. If you're not born again, you're, you're not going to be in that that realm in which God rules and be in that place he's prepared for those who know him and love him to live for eternity. And then Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? That, that makes no sense at all. Jesus answered, truly, truly, and that's that word, amen, amen, I, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. So as we think about first steps, the first steps in our relationship with God is that we got to make sure that we're in his family, right? Well, how do, you, how do you get into his family? Well, it's got to be a work of God. It's got to be born in the Spirit. And then there's this, this water that's thrown in here. Well, what he, what's he speaking about here? Well, in the Old Testament, often water was used to, the, to speak about how God washes us with his truth. But I want to show you a couple passages that speak about how God uses the Word of God in people's lives. In, in the book of Ephesians, we're going to have a family analogy here. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, we have this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. Now listen to this. Cleanse her by the washing of water with the word. So when 
Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, is you gotta be, you gotta be born again by the water and by the spirit. You, you, need, you need to be washed. You need to be cleansed. You need to be cleansed by the truth of the word of God that speaks about who God is. That you might be set apart, washing in water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. When we're brought into the family of God, he now makes us holy. He sets us apart to be one of his children. And when he brings us in, he cleanses us. There's probably no greater expression of that in terms of the washing of the word of God, the analogy there, and then Titus. Turn into the little book of, uh, of Titus. And uh, you're considered very spiritual if you can find the book of Titus, all right? Uh, Titus, if you, if you find the Timothy, Timothys, first and second Timothy, Titus comes right after that. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, we, we have uh, these words. But when, we, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Now, as they think about being born again, the only reason you'd want to be born again is you were convinced you needed to be born again, right? And the whole idea about being saved, which is a very religious way of talking about entering into a relationship with God, the only reason you would feel the need to be saved because you've, you were convinced you had to be saved, right? And whether you've ever been in an experience where you were in over your head and you desperately needed help, you, you have that experience, I, I need someone to help me. Uh, maybe you've been in a situation where you've been out in the ocean and all of a sudden you, you, you are exhausted and, and you recognize that you're going to go down for the, the last time unless someone rescues you. He saved us, but then he goes on and says this, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, which simply says you, you can't be good enough to be good enough to measure up to God's standard. But according to his mercy, giving us that which Grace is giving us what we don't deserve, but mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. And what, we did, what do we all deserve from God? Nothing, and not even nothing, but even beyond that, we deserve his judgment upon our sin. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But he, out of his great mercy, does not give us what we do deserve, which is eternal separation from him, death, then he goes on, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So as we think about being born again, the first steps is realize that we must be born again. And the reason we must be born again is in God's eyes, we are dirty before him. We are filthy before him. And the only way that we can be in his presence before a holy God is that we need to be washed clean. And it's the Spirit of God and the Word of God that accomplishes that. Now, as we think about this, and for many of us here, and maybe online as well, you think, well, they, I already believe that. I'm convinced that is true. But, but, but then you might need, at times, just take a step back and say, well, what about other people who don't believe that? What, what about the pushback? One of the things that happens in life groups, not only do you get to wrestle with the questions following up the, the message that's preached on Sunday, but you have opportunity to throw out other questions as well. And in a money group I was in, uh, one of the questions, uh, not one of the questions, well, it became a question, but one of the, the words was, and we're only going to take a few minutes on this, was, well, 
Uh, this week, I had one of my family members say, well, you don't, you don't even know what Christianity is all about. You, I, I don't think you really have changed that much, and you, you don't even know why the Bible is the Word of God. You don't, know, you, don't know, you don't even know that there were certain books that should have been included in the list of, of books that you now have in this book that you read now and then. And, and then it was, it was raised, well, what about the gospel according to Thomas? Now, now, we know, at least in our New Testament, there's the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all right? And he said, well, were there any other gospels? And the word gospel is simply good news. It's a story of the good news about Jesus according to or written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, how about some of the other people out there? Did they, did they write something? How, how do we know that what you have is the truth? If it's essential for people to hear the truth and believe the truth, that's found in this book about the one who is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Well, where are we getting the source of truth from? Which then begs the question, well, why do you believe this book is from God? That it is the word of God? Or it includes all the words of God? How do we respond to that? Well, hopefully you have some answer to this, and I want to watch my time because this is not really what the whole message is about, other than realizing if we're saying first step spiritually is to come to this book and, and long for what it has to say because it has the words of life, why should we believe it has the words of life, right? Well, there's a number of ways you can respond to that, and, and there are ways to, to build up your ability to to answer that question. But why do you believe the word of God? Uh, if I were to answer that personally, one is because I've experienced it, you know. And from the testimony, I, I, once I came and believed it and surrendered my life to the one it's all about, Jesus, it changed my life on the inside. But that's just a personal experience. Well, then I could add to that. I said, well, not only did it change my life, but it changed other people's lives. But again, that's based on experience. Well, is there any other reason? Well, well I find is I begin to examine it that, that, that there's, a, there's a supernatural element to it in terms of what it teaches. But even beyond that, I would say this. It, there's a uniqueness about this book. Then if you, if you examine it all, and this was the challenge that was given to Susan in our group well, by, by her son. Well, why do you believe this is true? Well, one answer would be its uniqueness. Can you tell me any other book in all of history that was written over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 authors in three different languages. And there's, there are no contradictions. It speaks in a unified way about, one, uh, about who God is and what he has provided from the beginning to the end. And it speaks about how it all began and how it all, is all gonna end. Can you, can you tell me any book out there that does that? Oh, and by the way, also, if, if you look at things that have been predicted in the past and, it, and has come true in the present uh, or in the future, you know, wh why, do we, why do we believe this book? Because of what it says about Jesus. Why do we believe Jesus? Because the prophecies that were recorded in this book came to pass in the life uniquely of Jesus. And you look at the probabilities of that happening, it is, it is beyond ability to believe that unless it's actually true. But if you ask yourself the question, well, why are certain books in, 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 the, or in, the, in the New Testament or the Old Testament for that matter, but uh, other religious writings about the God of the Old Testament or, the God, or Jesus in the New Testament are not included, uh, how do we get these, this list? 
And the question that she had, and this is, this is probably only for her this week, but anyway, well, what about the gospel according to Thomas? Well, the gospel according to Thomas wasn't discovered until 1948. In 1948, again, you, it's kind of like the Dead Sea Scrolls. You had some people looking for some things, and particularly what they were looking for is some nitrate stones that they could use to, for fertilizer uh, to to raise crops. And in that, they, they found some scrolls, and one of them was bits and pieces of the gospel according to Thomas, or at least that's what it said. And, and then it began to have additional research on that, and they realized that this was kind of a lost gospel. And the more research they did on it, they realized that this particular gospel was written, wasn't written to the mid-second uh, uh, century. And so as you look at why we would believe the Bible is the word of God is you'd give it a couple, three, basically three tests, a bibliographical test, an external test, and an internal test. And then when you measure with other writings, you realize they don't, they don't pass the test. I put, in, I put in your outline this morning that there are basically four tests in terms of why certain books got in the New Testament. Was a book accepted by the early church as authoritative? I just want to read you one passage in Colossians that kind of illustrates that. But as, as they began to decide which books are in the New Testament, um, even from the very beginning, uh, this, is, this is kind of the test they gave it. When this letter is read among you, this is the letter to Colossae, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and, that, and for your part in my letter that it's coming from Laodicea. And so in the very beginning, as Paul wrote or other, the gospel writers wrote, it was accepted by the people of God. They read it and they, they recognized that this book was inspired by the living God given to, to men to write down God's message to them. And, and in many ways, as you look at the New Testament, you recognize that, that people didn't decide it was the word of God. They recognized that it was the word of God. And how do we know that? Because it became the accepted core books that they saw as authoritative. Now, it wasn't until later on that they compiled the list as, uh, as formative or uh, this is the list we're not going to add or subtract from. But it was based on the history of those letters or gospels written and were they accepted by the church at large. There were basically 30 lists of those as they were wrestling which ones were going to be included in the canon. And the, go- and, and, uh, the Gospel of Thomas was only put in one of those lists. So 29 lists said, no, this doesn't measure up. And the reason it didn't measure up because of the 114 sayings in the Gospel of Thomas, uh, some are totally contradictory to what else is in, in this book. And so they realized it, it, it was not consistent. So why was it decided? Was the book accepted by the early church as authoritative? Was the book consistent? No contradictions with other accepted inspired books? Was the book preserved or lost? Was the book a work of the Holy Spirit, high moral and spiritual values? And one of the things about the Gospel of Thomas, which is interesting, is that it was, it was, a, it was a lost book. And then secondly, it, it appealed that it had secret knowledge in, in, in its inconsistencies with the other gospel, that this is, this is the real stuff. If you don't read this, you don't really understand Jesus. Well, the reality is, if you have uh, 27 books saying this is about Jesus and this is new material, which, which one are you going to believe in? The one that's consistent or one that's not consistent? 
Now, really what all I'm trying to say here, and you can, you can look at resources. There's a book I just brought here. It's called Evidence and Man's a Verdict by Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell. And it will, it will go through great detail of, of why they believe the Word of God is the Word of God and why we can put our trust and confidence, not just from our own personal experience, but from using our, our mind to say, yeah, there are valid reasons to believe that. You can go online and you can go online to see people who attack the Bible, but you can also go online and see people who, who defend the Bible. Uh, gotquestions.org is a great resource to look at some things that might, you might have questions for. But God wants us to have within our own heart a reason for why we believe what we believe. And uh, in your life groups, you'll talk a little bit about that this week. But as we think about it, essentially what I want to talk, the first step of being born again is hearing the Word of God and then responding to the Word of God and then surrendering to the Word of God who speaks about the living Word of God. And it is that which is eternal. It is that which will not perish. It will not be that which will flower up for a period of time and then be destroyed or, or fade and not continue to produce life. So Peter appeals to them to, to live out um, their new life in Christ by recognizing this is, this is something that's supernatural that, that God does through uh, his revealed truth uh, given to us in the word of God. But then he goes on, and, and, and so if we look at the points this morning, that number one is God wants us to recognize that uh, how, do we, how do we get into the family of God? It's through the Spirit of God, using the Word of God to get us into the family of God. But then he, he recognized that to be born again, uh, God now wants us to, to live out our faith. And so how do, how do we grow in the Word of God? It's the same truth. How do we... How do we realize how we grow in the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God using the Word of God to grow us up in the family of God. And this is what he now speaks to in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he gives us another therefore. And whenever you hear the word therefore, you ask yourself the question, what's the therefore therefore? Well, the therefore is because the Word of God is that which brings you into the family of God. That was your first steps there. These are the steps you continue to use uh, to grow in the family of God. And so he says this, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation." if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So we're going to look at just three verses here that, that Peter writes. Okay, this is essential. These are essential steps if you're going to grow in your faith. And if, if you're going to grow physically, there are certain things that are going to detract from your physical growth, and there are certain things that are going to enhance your physical growth. And, and that's really what he does here. If you want to grow spiritually, there are certain things you need to get rid of, and there are certain things, particularly one thing, you need to pursue. What are some things you need to get rid of? Therefore, going back to verse 1, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. So he's saying to God's people, there, there are certain things that are going to keep you from growing spiritually. There are some things that will cause you not 
to have a desire to know God better and to follow him more faithfully. And he, he gives a list here. And he, gives, he puts it in the hall, putting aside, and it really has the idea of, of putting on or taking off like clothes. Uh, you know, there's certain things in your life, if you have uh, your clothes that are smeared with filth and everything else, you're not going to be able to operate very well in terms of engaging life. And he said, there's certain things you need to put off. And, and he lists them. There are four of them there. He goes, one, two, three, four, five, five of them there. He says, first of all, malice. And what is, what is malice? It's, it's, you can find this, a desiring for someone uh, to be filled with defeat or hurt or bad things to happen to them. Now think about this for a moment. He had just earlier said, we ought to fervently love one another from the heart. In fact, he says, you ought to have a sincere love fervently for one another from the heart. He said, now, as God's people, and as he speaks into them, he's writing them because not this is the, that this is theoretical. He's saying, among you, this is, some, this is what some of you are struggling with. As you look around the people that you know, some of you, if you are honest, you're, you're hoping they are, are going to have some bad things happen to them. You're hoping something goes wrong in their life. You, you desire that they might be uh, going through trouble, that, that you, and you might be even willing to volunteer to, to, to give them some trouble, all right? That's the mouth. It's seeking wickedness or evil in a person's life. And, and so the honest thing for all of us is that you, if, if, we were, if we were to have a, you know, a spotlight put in our heart and mind, are, are there people in our life right now that, that we wish evil for? Now, now, sometimes all you have to do to be honest about answering that question is to look at some of the posts you might have had on some of your social media, you know, in the political arena or some other area. It, it, does our heart harbor evil toward others? And if that is true, we could ask ourselves the question, well, how can the love of God be central in our heart if, if we're wishing evil for others? And, and, and let's just be honest, they were living in a political arena that was much more volatile than what we experienced in the United States. R Rome was not a particularly easy place to live, on, live in, and particularly if, if you were now identified as the ones who burned down much of the, the, the capital city. He said, you, you are not to harbor malice, evil toward other people. Not even your little brother or little sister, right? You, that, that's, that's not what you can hold on to. And, and then he said deceit. You, you should not be marked as a deceitful person. What is a deceitful person? This, this is a person who with guile or, or dishonesty uh, does things for their own advantage. Essentially, this word deceit really has the idea of it's kind of a fisherman's analogy. It's, it really has, it comes from a word to, which means to, to bait a hook. And, and when you bait a hook, and if you, if you per, per, personally, when, when I go fishing, I, I would rather go catching than just fishing, right? Because most of the time when I'm fishing, the, there's that hook in the, in the water and the bait's on the, on the line, but th that fish doesn't particularly like my bait and my hook, right? I'd rather catch fish and just sit there on the, on the sidelines or in the boat. But what he's saying here, that you're living a life in which you're baiting people. 
and, and, and you're, you're using various devices, unbeknownst to them, to attract them to do something for your benefit and for their hurt. That's ha- that should not be named among God's people. Hypocrisy, that's not being genuine. It's not being what you say you are. It, it, it's being a poser. It's, it, it's, it's, profa- it's projecting one image when the image has no reality in life. And, and as he says, as I, I want us to really realize he was speaking to God's family and, and that's how they were living. And that's how we live at, in the home at times with the people that we're closest to. And when that happens, what does that do to our spiritual life? It, it, it destroys it. And so we have to have a, a heart check. Am, am, I, am I really hoping ill will to that person? Am I deceiving them by doing one thing, but really that's not who I am? Am I baiting them to do something that would hurt them or just be for my own good? The idea of envy, that's being controlled by resenting someone else's prosperity or the things that are going well in their life. Or to put it a longer way, it's even a longer description. It's having a grudge or bitterness towards someone. It's having an unforgiving spirit. It has the idea of you're envying that what others are doing well in that you would have. And of course, the one that we can all wrestle with is the idea of slander. And that's whispering about other people, putting them down. It's, it's not good gossip, which we'll talk sometimes about at, at Grace Hills Church. If you, if you know something good about somebody, you know, spread it as far and as wide as you can. But when you know something bad about someone, someone's wrong, just keep it to, your, keep it to yourself or speak to them directly. It's backbiting. It's defaming the character of another person. And so, so Peter writes into their lives, I, I want you to understand that you need to be born again, and you have been born again. You've been born again by something that which will last forever. It's it, 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 it sparked, it's, it's instigated by the Spirit of God using the Word of God to get you in the family of God. But, but I also want you to understand and realize that God wants you to grow up in the family of God. And to grow up in the family, God, remember that therefore it's the word of God that brought you in. It's the word of God that will, will keep you mature. And he said, there's certain things you need to get rid of. And this is not the only list in the New Testament that speaks about things that will, that will trip us up in our Christian life. And, and we could all make lists. What are some of the things that keep us from being strong spiritually? But then he says in these two verses, something so simple but so profound. He says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow in respect to salvation if or since you have tasted the kindness of God. Now, when I read this, and this is a familiar verse to me, I was thinking, yeah, you know, this this is a no-brainer. We ought to we had a long for the word of God, but I was struck by what one author I was reading this past week said. He said, you know, it's, it, it's amazing. He doesn't say study the word of God here. He doesn't say read the word of God here. He doesn't say uh, reflect on the word of God. He doesn't say what I often say, memorize the word of God and meditate on the word of God. He, he doesn't talk about activity. He backs up the truck a little bit more fundamentally. He says, look at 
for you to read the Word of God, study the Word of God, talk about the Word of God, preach the Word of God, communicate the Word of God, memorize the Word of God, and meditate, meditate the Word of God. You got to want to, right? And, and, and what he's saying here, I, I want you to long for the Word of God. Now, what does it mean to long for something? It, the word actually literally means to crave or have a passion for. And you say, well, what if I don't have a crave and a passion for the Word of God? And if, if I were to be totally honest with you, what, what often breaks my heart is when I see God's people not long for the Word of God, not to have a passion for the Word of God, not, not want to do everything they can to, to know not only just this book, but the author of this book. But it all begins here, doesn't it? it, it it's having a sense that this, this is something you want to go after. And he said, really, this should be, this should be natural for us. Now, now, some of us are more readers than others, but there's, we live in a day and age in which you can get it so many different ways. You can get it online, you can get it on the internet, you can get it on TV, you can get it on the radio, you can have it on CDs, you can have it on your phones, whatever. My, there, there's so many ways to get the Word of God into your life. And, and, and if you can read, you can, you can read it firsthand, right? But it begins with having a craving for it. Paul used the word long here 11 different times, seven different times in the New Testament. But, you know, the word crave is used in a variety of different contexts, which kind of really humbles all of us, I think, when we think about it. It's not only like a little baby, and you've seen a little baby, you know, when it comes out of the womb, one of the first things you want to do is it, it, to see if it's healthy, is desire for that mother's milk, right? And you, you'll see him, sh- you'll see him or her shake and just start crying and doing everything he can to, to, get, to, get, to get that which will nurture them, to satisfy their hunger. But, but this word for longing has the same idea of between a a husband and a wife desiring their spouse. It has the same idea for a person who has a craving for food or even a type of food. I have a craving for chocolate right now. It has the same idea of someone who's lost a loved one, maybe a child or a spouse or a, or a parent, and longing just one more time to be able to spend time with them. It's a person longing, maybe, who's not married but wants to get married. It's a person who's longing to have a child but doesn't have a child. It's a person longing that for some, some way that which they are encountering suffering might be relieved. It's someone who maybe has COVID and is having a hard time breathing, finding some way that they'd be able to have a fresh breath again. And when you think about that, that really gets down to the foundation of an essential step, a first step, and a next step in our walk with God. That God give me a desire, like in Psalm 42, that just as a deer pants for the water, so we should pant for God. And how do we... How do we get to God? We get to God through his word. 
and, and we want to know more about him. I think it's in Peter's second letter, in 2 Peter 3.18, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as he appeals to them, he says, I, I want you to grow just like a baby would grow naturally as it feeds on the, the milk of the mother's breast. I, I want you to think back to your experience with Jesus. And we have a tendency to forget the things we ought to remember and, and we don't remember the things we ought to forget. And, and he says, I, I, want you, I want you to remember. Memory. You have tasted the kindness and the goodness of God. Why wouldn't you want that to flow in a much deeper way in your life? And, and it's no mystery. It's, it's the word of truth that cleanses us and changes us from the inside out. So Peter, as he, as he shares out of his heart that he wants God's people to be hopeful no matter what, this hope comes from a greater, deeper relationship with Jesus. It, it starts when we're born again, when, when through the Spirit of God and the truth about the Word of God, someone has preached to us or taught us the Word of God where we see our need and know that we need to be born again. And, then, and after we're born again, then we come to that place, God, I, I, want, I want to know you more and I want to share you more with others. Give me a heart for knowing you deeply from your word. Help me long like a, a baby longs for the milk of his mother. Help me to long for you more than anything else that I would know that the kindness of God drives me to know you in a deeper way. In many ways, this, this, this morning's message was as, as foundational or basic as it can be. God wants people to be born again in the family of God. And he wants his people to grow in the family of God as we long for him. Let's pray. The so what of this message this morning is what steps have we taken and what steps do we need to take? And Father, we just really pray that each one of us might answer very simply, do I know you? Have I been born again? Have I given my life fully and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you cleansed me on the inside so I can live a life that pleases you? Have I longed to be part of your family? And that happens when we surrender. We admit our need. We believe in who Jesus is and we commit and choose to follow you. And then, Father, as your children, is that the passion of our heart? Do we crave to know you and to make you known? Do we, do we want to understand more about you? Because this is, this is where life begins and, and where life is, is abundant and full. Help us to be a people that long for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.